so, open mic Monday at Tucson. Like we were talking earlier, we need somebody with the courage to uh, uh -huh. kick it off. Who's got the first question? Or comment? Comments, complaints, oh. questions, <coughs> chastisements, criticisms? Yeah. <coughs> the feast, uh, yeah. How do we deal with, um, you know, do everything and trying everything and still dealing with, like, um, That you're not, I'm assuming this must be Krishna's desire. <laughs> so we can't let our minds work like that. So uh, we have to work on ourselves. Like, for instance, you ask yourself when your mind says, I want this, fill in your own anarta here, whatever. Just say, All right, what, is that, what does that give you? What do you get out of this? You know, really, why? What, what's the return? People don't do things without a perceived return. Uh, we don't have bad habits just because uh, there's a return. We don't have because there's no return. We don't have good habits because there's no return. You see, we have <clears throat> we do good things to please Guru and Krishna. Uh, we do bad things because we think it pleases our ourself. But if we analyze it, it really doesn't. These things that we consider thoughts of, you know, desires we want to get rid of, they're not good for us. They're not good for us any way you slice it or dice it, spiritually, materially. It's really, what well, do you beat yourself up over? I mean, because I know, like you said, is that... Get tough you know, with you yourself. Get, yeah, I mean, you know, you've yeah. got 30 years of a habit, as an example, and you're expecting the result to be like, it doesn't happen. Can't expect that. <clears throat> I mean, it can happen. Yeah. If you get real serious with yourself, however, that's probably not the more practical expectation. <clears throat> but it's good not to let yourself get away with too much. Sometimes, once in a while, you, you just have to tell yourself, look, uh, I'm not going to take this anymore. My dear mind, stop it. Stop it. The two magic words, stop it. Can tell yourself that. Just stop it. You know, when you find your mind, it's good to catch it before it goes too far. <clears throat> when your mind starts to lead you down a path, and just say, stop it. Enough of that. Not going there. I insist. 
We're not going to do that. I'm the soul. Don't think that your mind is you. Some, sometimes we think, well, I have this thought. No, your mind is telling you this or that. Your mind is saying, <clears throat> we should do this or we should do that. And, you know, wouldn't it be nice to do this or, or whatever? So that doesn't mean I want to do this. It means my mind, out of some condition, it's a reflex. It's used to doing something. And so I need to tell it. No, we don't do that anymore. Sorry. Thank you, but no thank you. Sometimes you can say to your mind, great idea, but thank you, no. <laughs> you know. So, yeah. Just, um, just be steadfast and firm. Um, but you can't expect it. Sometimes you can't expect things to just go away all at once. <clears throat> but don't don't wimp out and say, well, it didn't go away right away, so I guess it's never going to go away. You don't want to think like that. Slow and steady wins the race. The thing of it is, is don't justify it. You know, when the, when the body or the mind is wanting to do something, don't say, well, it's probably okay. I mean, what's wrong? You know? <clears throat> that's, that's wimpy. That's, uh, that's Loser. Losers do that. The jails are full of people who, who do that with themselves. They can justify doing things. You know, it was my father's fault. I had a bad childhood. My mother left me, or this or that. Or, you know, for so many reasons, I had to go do some nonsense. I st stuck up a store or whatever. You know, uh, I'm doing. I'm doing drugs because, I don't know, whatever. <clears throat> but to come up with an excuse, allow yourself an excuse, say, yeah, okay, that's okay, I justify it. Don't do that. It's like if your mind insists and you can't overcome it, you know, uh, you know, just kind of don't let it, don't let it get away with it. You say, you know, this isn't good. This is. Don't ever say, "Yeah, this is alright." It's not alright. Tell your mind that you don't have to take this stuff. You're more powerful than your mind. It's very difficult to control the mind, though. But um, being engaged in devotional service and chanting Hare Krishna will overcome anything. Yeah, and, and ask Krishna's help. Say, please help me. Who else? Is that okay? Perfect. You look like you've got a question. <coughs> I'm formulating. Ah, formulating. No, it's still baking. It's almost ready. It's still downloading. Yeah. yeah. It's baking. It's baking. Yeah. <laughs> Let me know when the timer goes off. We'll take it out of the oven. Who else? Anybody else have something? Yes. Okay, I noticed that, especially in our modern world, there's a lot of, and I work, I work in this field as well, so I see a lot of it amplified, but just in the general public, there seems to be a lot of, 
like substance abuse and chemical dependency and just addiction of some sort, you know, whether it's like addiction of someone else or addiction of alcohol or drugs or food or materialism. It just seems like this, like everyone's got like an addiction issue. Mm -hmm. I'm just wondering what's going on with that. Everybody's looking for fulfillment. They're looking to, to they're looking for some satisfaction. <coughs> Who was it? The Rolling Stones had that song. I can't get no satisfaction. You know, uh, you try this, you try that, try more of this, try more of that, try a little over here and a little over there, and it's just not satisfying. So, some people, uh, uh, well, actually, most people have something that they do too much of. They're looking, they're trying to squeeze some enjoyment out of the material energy, you know. And it's it's kind of sad because you, you can't, no matter how, how hard you squeeze a rock, you can't get water out of it. It's like if you're out in the desert and you're thirsty, you think, well, I'll squeeze this nice big fat rock here and I'll get some, some nectar out of it. No matter how hard you squeeze, <coughs> excuse me, it's not going to happen. So, material worlds like that, we try so hard to squeeze some enjoyment out of it. And we, we we come up a loser, so then we have to try harder somewhere else. And some things have like a temporary fix, you know. For a lot of Americans, to sit down in front of the television with a remote control and a snack and a drink, you know. In America, they like these they, they like these big drinks. You know? It's always amazing to see people. Like uh, there's this place where I walk in uh, San Antonio, and I'm walking until I get tired. Then there's a, a Starbucks that has this little patio outside, and I can sit down there. You know? So right next door is this uh, uh, Taco Cabana, I think. So or some kind of a restaurant like that. So I see people pull up and they go in, and they're in there long enough to eat. Of course, they slam down something. And then they come out carrying these gigantic drinks. And they get in their pickup truck and they go away, you know. And I'm thinking, all right, if that's what you're carrying out, you, you probably had at least one of those while you're in there. So Americans are you know, soft drink crazy. <clears throat> They're just, they, they can't exist without something cold to drink, even if it's in the wintertime. You know, they think, I need something cold, ice and everything. I think we're probably the only country that's like that. It's not so much like that in, in Europe. You know. They're not so crazy for it to be cold. In America, it's got to be cold. I mean, you could be in Chicago in the wintertime, you were, they, they're drinking cold drinks. You know. So, so it's, it's, like, it's like this, uh, addiction to trying to fulfill uh, a desire that can't be fulfilled, but they'll find something that they can kind of space out on. And it seems like uh, television with a snack, salty, a salty snack and a sweet drink, you know, or maybe a nice alcoholic beverage of your choice. All of them big. 
So, uh, and it's, I, because I can sit there and I can just keep putting it in my mouth, and, you know, change the channel. You know, I can do that, and it, as long as I'm stuffing it in my face, I'm feeling a, enough enjoyment to cover up this yearning desire for what I'm really looking for. I'm really looking for Krishna. I'm used to having Krishna. But now I'm in this material world and I'm, I'm away from it. And I don't know it. See, that's the unfortunate thing. I'm away from the source of all satisfaction and all enjoyment. I'm away from the source of all love and peace. And here I am in this material world. And, uh, and I don't know, but I have this, I feel like there's a hole in my soul. And I've got to fill it. There's just something missing in this material world. And uh, it seems like the longer the souls have been in this material world, the more uh, the more they have that realization that there's really something huge missing in this world. There was this uh, movie years ago uh, Richard Burton started. Uh, I don't know if it was a very it was like a long, before I became a devotee, I saw this movie. I don't know if he was with Elizabeth Taylor or what, but you know, probably they were in movies together. The, the name of the movie was, was Boom, B-O-O-M. And uh, every so often throughout the movie, something would get a little boring, and things would, and he would say, Boom. And after a while, people said, Why do you always say that? Why do you say Boom? He said, because that's the sound of every, of every second that passes and I'm still alive. It's like an explosion that I can't stand it. I wish I was dead. Because there's just no satisfaction. I can't, he was an alcoholic. He kept drinking and drinking. And every so often he would say that. Until he passed out. And he would pass out. You see. But he had, the, the, he had enough realization to know there's just no enjoyment here. But there have been poets who've written songs about it. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, there was another song when I was a kid by Peggy Lee, I think. Do you remember her? That song, Is That All There Is? Wasn't that a, that was a depressing song? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, meaning whatever. I, I met a boy, I fell in love, it didn't work. So is that all there is? If that's all there is, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have them all. That was, you know, and she repeated different things that happened to her. And they didn't work. So is that all there is? So, you know, poets and songwrites and people like that have been writing about that for a long time. But what is, what is here? What can we totally truly enjoy. And they don't have answers. They're just smart enough to be asking the questions. You see. So the answer is, we're missing uh, the most missable object. We're yearning for the most uh, wonderful object, and that's Krishna. We're yearning to be restored back to our uh, position of eternal knowledge and bliss. You see. So, this Krishna Consciousness Movement, our whole purpose is to 
go out and find people who are seeking enough or who will who can hear now not everybody can understand it we don't dis you know, discriminate we try to offer it to everybody but some people it's just going to go right over their head you know you can preach to them and read Bhagavad Gita and they'll say yeah that's really good can you hand me another beer you know and the remote control is right over there it's time for the football game to come on you know they're not ready yet they're not convinced you can almost tell by the look, the glazed look in their eye that they're just, they're, they're really convinced that I can enjoy this material world. And it's really sad. So it's a very sad situation. So we're just trying hard to distribute this ability to connect with Krishna through devotional service, chanting Hare Krishna. So out of compassion. And the more we the more we understand what's going on with our fellow man, the sadder we get for them, the more compassion we get. It's like a, it, it gives us a driving influence to, to help save people, you see. The devotee, you know, Bill Clinton said, I, I feel your pain, you know, the devotee. We, what we understand, we do, we feel the pain of the, of the suffering conditioned souls. We want to help them. That's why we keep it going. Shri Prabhupada, he certainly understood that. All of the great Acharyas fully understood that. Their mission was to save this world. Lord Chaitanya started this momentum going and everybody's keeping it going ever since all the Acharyas, since Lord Chaitanya. They're keeping this spin going, you know, to save the fallen conditioned souls. <clears throat> it's one thing to say it, but it's another thing to realize it. And that's a good realization. You know, you just brought up a very important point. We need to think more about that. What are people doing right now to try to replace Krishna? See, we're not we're not trying to replace Krishna. We have Krishna. But what are other people trying to do? It's sad. It's very unfortunate. So, and therefore we try as much as we can to preach and spread this movement. Try to get people to come in here, participate. We try to distribute this movement. It's not that we're trying to uh, convert people or whatever. You know, we don't say our religion is better than yours. Well, we do say if you're looking for love of Godhead and you're having a hard time finding it, then we can help you. It could be that you're practicing some other practice and you're actually achieving love of Godhead. I don't know, but maybe if you are, then you're doing fine. You see? But for the most part, we find that people really aren't achieving love of Godhead. You see? So we're just trying to help them as much as we Well, just part of her question, so do you feel that because it's more available that people are using other, they're just substituting, you know, it used to be beer and then it was this and now it's these prescription drugs and then it's, you know, that they're just 
juggling those different things according to time and place, how they can get it, and, or do you think there's some deeper thing to it, or people more crazy now than they were before? Or? I don't think people are, are as crazy as we were. <laughs> <laughs> the late 60s crowd. You know, we were pretty crazy. I think they're smarter now, but they still have that same vacuum. They still have that void that they're trying to fill. They're a little smarter. I think people now tend to be a little smarter than younger people. Uh, I don't think they're quite as degraded you know, as the hippies were. I could be wrong, but I don't, from my observation, they seem like they're a lot sharper. But they're still trying hard to fill that, that void. But I think a lot of them are, are, are easier to influence away from trying to fill the void through a mundane process. I think that, uh, I think the preaching is easier now. We're getting better people. They don't seem to be completely toasted out when they come to us. You know, a lot of them are completely sizzled. You know. It took a long time for some of them to, to heal to where they could kind of think. You know. Walking and chanting at the same time is difficult. You know. I remember you know, Joppa, Joppa time. Remember Joppa time back in the early 70s? mid-70s. You'd see people doing all kinds of interesting things. <laughs> I'm not going to get into it. I don't want to be offensive. But, you know, we don't see that now. We see people just sit and chant. You know, we used to see. <laughs> oh, it's funny to think about. Though. I will say one. I remember there's, there was this one boy. <laughs> I'm not going to mention any names. You know, but he would chant like, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare As he would jet the mantra, his hand would go out and he'd snap it back. It's unbelievable. You know, I remember you know, <laughs> one, one boy would go and, uh, and tap his head on the wall when he jetted. We don't get those folks anymore, you know. If we do, they're well behaved. You know, maybe they're just as nutty, but they don't show it. I don't know. Um, yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah. Is your question done yet? Is it still still baking? No, I think I think I'm ready. Ding! So how can we tell if or what steps can we take to determine if thoughts that we're having or things that we're feeling are materially motivated and or if they're you know some kind of um, you know maybe a request from Krishna or if they're a material motivation that's say a subconscious justification kind of thing. And then once we determine that it is, you know, something that um, that we really do feel that Krishna would like us to do, where do we find the courage to go through with that? Because you know, sometimes it can be a huge, um, you know, huge shift in lifestyle or wh whatever, whatever difficult thing. If it would be, it would be difficult if you're all on your own. But if you've got Guru Shadu Shastra to consult, consult with somebody that you have faith in, you know, somebody that's 
faith worthy and find out, run it past them. That's, that's what I do. Say, what do you think about this? And be open. You know, it's not like you say, what do you think about this, Maharaj? Well, I, don't, I think that's kind of, no, I don't think that's a good idea. What do you think? Well, why do I ask you anyway? <laughs> hey, Prabhu, what do you think of What's well, a dumb idea? Well, I don't really like your opinion anyway. You know, you just you keep asking until you find somebody who says, well, that's a good idea. Finally, I found somebody with some intelligence. You know? No, we all need uh, people that we can go to and uh, and find out. I'm having this thought. Am I in, am I in Maya? Is this Maya? And somebody who will tell you straight. Somebody that won't be afraid to say, you know, Petey, I love you, but yeah, that's Maya. Or if they say, no, no, that's okay, and encourage, you've got to have faith that they're, you know, that they're, not just trying to butter you up. Or, or do, you know. I mean, it's our duty for one another. Just, you know, we have we have a duty to hear one's mind in, in uh, confidence and to reveal one's mind in confidence. And confidence is, a, is an important part. You see, it's not that uh, the devotee shouldn't be uh, talking if somebody talks to you. They shouldn't run and say to the next, hey, do you know what? Let's talk to Petey. You know what this guy's thinking about? I mean, if you're out there, man. You can't be like that. You know, immediately when somebody, they shouldn't even have to ask you. But especially if they do, you know, can we have a confidential? It should be, you know, it should be a guarantee. The only time that they might would be if they need higher advice from someone that they can trust. And they go to them in confidence. And then you might not even mention the name, but I know somebody, you know, and, and they asked this, and I said that, do you think that's right? You know, like that. But if you go to, uh, <clears throat> if you go to an attorney, he's, he's bound by law to keep uh, whatever you tell him confidential. You go to a doctor, Bound by law, it's to be confidential. You know, psychiatrist, uh, your accountant, you can't go putting your tax reports around here and there, your financial statement, you know. He's, he's required to uh, uh, recognize confidentiality. And what we, in a, if we're immature devotees, we don't recognize or realize that we are bound by that too. Not by the law. Of course, that could be argued. There's some court cases that may decide that you are, but that's, that's a whole other chapter. But really, if, you're really, if you really have compassion and you want to help somebody, then you need to receive their situation in confidence. and take the responsibility to try to help them as best as you can. So we shouldn't go at it alone. We shouldn't do it alone. That's just plain silly. You know? It's like uh, as Mark Twain said that if you, somebody who represents himself in a court of law, if you act as your own attorney, you have a fool for a client. 
you know, it's just silly to try to do it. Uh, we can't analyze ourselves properly. When a psychiatrist or a psychologist or someone like that uh, feels like he needs a tune-up, he doesn't sit down and do it himself. He goes to someone else that he has a lot of faith in. You see, so it, it's it's tough to diagnose yourself like that. So, uh, first of all, we're surrounded by people that we can trust. Some more than others, but people that we can trust. So we need to seek out, if it's available, if Krishna makes that available to us, then we should take advantage of it. I mean, I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have the people that I, that I have to run questions about, you know. I was thinking about making this, this idea, this, you know, this change or that or whatever. So, does that answer it? Yeah. Did you have a question in there? Oh. What's, what's the difference between uh, true renunciation and uh, false renunciation? Well, uh, true renunciation means that you are not attached really to anything. Uh, false renunciation means you're just posing that you're not attached. You see? Um, I'm not attached. Now, uh, also false renunciation could be if you over-renounce. You see, sometimes people like to appear like they're over-renounced, they're really super-renounced. Only later on to see that they, they have to, they're not so renounced because they have to go get a little luxury or something like that. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example. Maybe somebody, uh, they're so renounced that they, they go sit out in the heat in Arizona. You know, I want to show how austere I am. I'm, I'm renouncing air conditioning, renouncing luxury. You know. And then after a while, they get sick and tired of that, and then they, they're, they're trying to make up for lost time. So, um, renunciation. Um, means to not be attached to the material energy. But it means to be attached to the, spirit, the spiritual energy. It's not that you're not attached to anything. You know, I'm so renounced, I'm just going to go sit in the temple 24 hours a day. You know. So if you're truly renounced, then uh, what have we renounced? If I've renounced doing what my mind wants to do, and and I want to do what Krishna wants me to do, that's renunciation. If I'm trying to use all of my facilities in Krishna's service, that's true renunciation. Not that I get rid of my facilities. I get rid of everything. If you have a cell phone, use it in Krishna's service. If you can't use it in Krishna's service, then you're not attached to it. So you can throw it away if you can't use it. But if you can use it in Krishna's service, then it becomes very valuable. It's like Prabhupada talked about the you know, use of the, uh, the dictaphone. You know, the dictaphone. When you use it in Krishna's service, it becomes of great value to you and to everybody. You see. So, 
But if you can't use it in Krishna's service, then what's the need? What's the use of something like that? It's nonsense. It's useless. See? And it goes for a car, a computer, whatever. Renunciation means to keep only those things that you can use to serve Krishna with. And Krishna may require, you may be renounced, but Krishna may be require you do the nature of your service, he might require you to get something else that you don't have. You know, he may requ require you to get into a co into computer. If you maybe you're com computer literate, illiterate, and you need to learn how to use a computer to preach. You know, there are things you'd have to learn to use the computer, you see, to further your service. So, renun true renunciation means I'm I've renounced the I, me, and mine feelings. I'm renouncing doing for I, me, and mine. And I'm just going to do what I think is best for Krishna, for Guru and Krishna. See? And that's true renunciation. But too often we see Shobhava. There's The Prabhupada had that term, Shobhava. Showing. Showoffishness. If we analyze the great souls, they were never show-offs. They didn't act this way or act that way. No. We can identify those people a mile, a mile away. Well, I can't <coughs> see them that far, but as soon as you see them, you can identify them. Show-ball. Look at Shua Prabhupada. Look at Shua Bhakti Siddhanta. Jagwaita Maharaj has a term that I like. I, I like. He calls it uh, uh, "keep it plain vanilla." Plain vanilla. You know, I've been talking with him sometimes about this or that. You know, so some things that are going on in the movement, and I'll say, "What do you think about it?" He said, "The only thing I want to know is it is it plain vanilla." You know, if it's too foo foo then there's some contamination there. There's two, then it's, uh, there is uh, a self-interest. The opposite of renunciation. Just because someone might sleep on, a, on the floor on a blanket, they may be doing that to show the world that they're renounced, but you can, you can see the way they live their life. They're not renounced. They're attached. Or attached to their attention or whatever. And it's false renunciation. It's rampant, you know, in the, in the so-called spiritual <coughs> realm. You know, if you, go, if you go to India, you can see lots of those people. Uh, their followers can, can consider them to be very renounced, but you look at them and you go, you probably, you know, you've been to India a lot. You've seen these kind of, you know what the kind of folks I'm talking about. You can tell, wait a minute, this guy's not renounced. You know? It's okay to be clean and present yourself nicely. Shua Prabhupada did, did that. He wanted his, his, his men to be that way. You know? But any more than that, and what are you trying to show? What is this foo-foo nature that you have? You know? I always wonder about that. And sometimes, you know, if it's a younger devotee, I don't say anything because they'll grow out of it sooner or later. And 
the older devotees don't seem to do it very much. <laughs> it's pretty rare to see. But, um, yeah, the character of Srila Prabhupada was purely advanced, uh, purely renounced, totally renounced. He had total renunciation. He wasn't attached to anything except those things that he could use in his service. And then he considered the gifts from, from Krishna and that he, had, he was placed in care, care control and custody of them. So he cared for them very much. Srila Prabhupada, someone uh, uh, would give him a, 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 a pen and pencil set. You know, a nice one. I remember there was this one he had that was a cross. You know, this manufactured cross. I don't know, if, I think there's probably still around. So it was a gold pen and pencil, matching pen and pencil. It came in a, in a nice box. So Prabhupada kept it in, in his desk, in his desk drawer. What the desk drawer was basically a coffee table that had a drawer in it. And Prabhupada would sit on a cushion. One cushion against the wall, one on the floor, and he'd sit behind this desk with this coffee table, which was his desk. And when he needed to write something, he would open the drawer, take out the box, place it on his desk, open it up, take the writing instrument of his choice, he would do his writing when he was finished. He would put it back in the box, close the box, and put it away. He wouldn't just toss it on the table. Now, he could have 50 of them if he wanted. He could tell somebody, bring me, bring me more of these. I like, I want one in every room. He didn't. He had one set, and he used it and took very good care of it. Because he felt like Krishna has sent me this to aid me in my service to him. I'm asking for devotional service. Krishna is so kind, he gives me the paraphernalia necessary to serve it. So I can I can look out and, be, and take care of it. So, so in that way, it may look like one's attached. I'm just attached to the, uh, the paraphernalia, the facility that Krishna has, has given me to preach. The preacher may say like that. Is that okay? Sometimes you have to be very careful, though, because you have to, I would assume that you have to really be a little more advanced to know that difference, what Krishna, how you can utilize that, because it can also be false ego. I mean, there's that fine line. Well, you have to check and balance yourself. I mean, are you actually using it for Krishna's service? Yeah. You know? And, uh, yeah, and, and are you giving away the things that you're not attached to, or that you can't use in Krishna service? Are you accumulating things? If you're, you know, <clears throat> Srila Prabhupada was always giving things away. He would, uh, someone would give him a sweater. He'd go someplace and would, someone would give him a nice sweater. Maybe somebody would knit him a nice sweater, you know? And so he would gladly accept it. Thank you very much. But he already had a sweater. He didn't need the sweater. But he didn't want to say, no, no, that's okay. I don't need that. Out of his kindness and love, he would, oh, thank you so much. That's very nice. And then he would take it back to his room and he would say, hmm, this new sweater will serve better than the old sweater. So then he would give it away. He would give it to somebody. It's about like the rules of 
Yeah. Yeah. Giving and accepting. <coughs> that way you're not you're not getting attached. If you can use that Krishna service, then you can be attached to it. But if you're not and you don't you don't see how you can, then it's useless. It's garbage. That's hard to sell, that point in America, because in America people like to have lots of stuff. Very common, you know, and, and well in Europe too. In Europe, a lot of places like, um, well in Britain, you know, people have lots of stuff in their houses. When you get into Asia, people don't have that much stuff. They, it's not, they just don't, they don't want to clutter their, their place up. Srila Prabhupada said, the Westerners, the Americans, can't understand an empty room. They can't understand, it bothers them. They look at that and say, oh my God. Gotta get some stuff in here. I think I'll have a sofa over there and a love seat over there. And we'll put the TV here and all this other stuff because we don't want too much room between the stuff. It's too vacant, so we have to have more stuff to put between the stuff. And then you get more stuff, then you start putting it into the garage. Then the garage gets full of stuff and the car sits outside. But that's okay because we're going to rent the, um, um, what is it, what do they call it, the uh, storage, the, the, the storage building. You know, we rent those, the public, they have these public storage things, you can see them everywhere in America. You don't see those everywhere in India, you know. You could never sell anybody to anyone. America's funny. You know, they have these public units and people are paying, you know, 90, 100, $200 a month keep stuff in there that when they cleaned out their garage, you know, that goes to, and they can't get rid of it, you know, it's, gosh, well, I've had this stuff for, for all my life, you know. Hey, look, here's my high school yearbook, you know, <laughs> here's, the, here's my this, and you know, little Johnny's first tricycle, you know, so they have stuff, and uh, even if it's broken stuff, I might fix that later on, you know, so we keep on, the nature of our attachment is such that we keep on accumulating, and, uh, but I think it's funny, um, you go through, if you drive down, uh, I have some friends in Dallas that live, you enter their house from the alley, you know, it's a really nice alley, you know, it's a nice, nice neighborhood, <clears throat> but it's best to enter from, you park in the back. So, but as you're driving down the alley to get to their house, you see a lot of the neighbors have their garages, the garage door open, you know, and uh, and it's full. They're like a little tiny walkway you can get through. It's just stacked stuff, <clears throat> you know. But if you go in their house, the house is full of stuff too, and they have the storage units, you know, that they can rent, and uh, it, it's a huge business in America. The storage units. People fill them up. <laughs> you know, so uh, it's taking on more and more responsibility to protect my stuff. So I, I have to accumulate more and more. I'll feel better if I have more stuff. So, uh, yeah. Does that answer your question?
Somebody else has a hand up. The money. Neglecting somebody. Yes. Uh, the money is dealing with someone with an uh, extremely strong false ego. How would a, a person go about explaining them the idea of no proprietorship? That's really, that's a good subject. Uh, I think it gets kind of basic, you know. Uh, when you came into this world, what did you bring with you? You know, you didn't even bring your teeth. You know, you didn't bring your clothes, you didn't. You came in, you're putting this body in, when it comes out into the air, it has nothing. Zero. So, uh, what can you lay claim on? And, uh, you know, how can you lay claim on it? Now, all, the, all the material elements, you can actually get scientific. The scientists can explain how, uh, it's like this one scientist was talking about. If you had uh, a high-speed camera, and you, I mean, real high-speed camera, and you focused it on a, on a mountain, or a mountain scene, the forest and everything, you would see how the mountain at one point grows and then it diminishes. Trees come up and go, and even the rocks, they come and they go, you know. Even the wind can wear them away, you see. So it's, this material world is like a river, a flowing of, of molecules that are coming for a while, they come into existence. They exist for some time. Uh, if they're animate, they give off some byproduct, and then they dwindle and ultimately disappear. You see, so you can't lay. Time is taking your stuff away anyway. You know, it's like uh, I was talking with somebody just recently about you buy a new car. You, know, you buy a new car. You get the thrill of having a new car, but in a very short time, it's a used car. You know, yeah, it depreciates. <clears throat> the new car smell goes away. It's just not new anymore. And in a short time, not too many years, it's just going to be an old car. It starts developing trouble. You know, first the tires, then the battery, then the brakes, and then transmission, and then you think, well, this thing's a junk, I'm getting rid of this thing. You know, they say they want $2,000 to fix the transmission. Heck, it's only worth $2,000. i am just going to get rid of it. I'll sell it to somebody and not tell them there's something wrong with the transmission. Maybe they'll buy it. See. But at one time, oh, man, look at my new wheels. You see? So time is taking it away. You can't hold on to anything. Time is taking it. So you can't lay proprietorship on anything. It's, it's obviously owned by something other than you. It's, it's taking it. It's slipping through your fingers. You see. So, uh, but it, everything belongs to God. Everything emanates from God. That's the source of everything. So if everything emanates from Him, how can I lay proprietorship? If I can use it in his service, then I can lay proprietorship on it. I can say, this is, this is mine. 
course, we share this little temple, but I, I can say, this is mine. I use this in my service, this little recorder. You know, I was requested to record my classes, and I felt like, well, maybe that's a service I can do, so uh, that's mine, and I, I lay proprietorship on it. As soon as I don't need it anymore, I can't use it in Christian service, it's just another something that I have to carry around. It's an advantage to traveling all the time because you, you, you have a tendency to go through stuff that, that you really have to have. If, 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 like if I haven't used something in six months, then I, I want to give it away. <laughs> I like to carry it around. There's no sense in carrying stuff around just because. You know. So, uh, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Creator. It comes from, from Krishna. He's the origin of everything. And if I can use it in His service, then I can take possession of it. And I'll, I'll care for it. It'll be under my control, care, and custody. And I'll, I'll take care of it in such a way. But I, rel I, I relinquish my control of it and my, con my custody if I can no longer use it in my service and I see somebody who can use it in theirs. You see, so just pass it, and you take it. You see, so it depends on the mentality of the person that you're talking to. How do you how do you tell that story? But basically, you can, if they're not very spiritual, you, you just say, well, look, materially, you can't hang on to anything. Time's taking it away. And right now, you may think, well, no, you know, my this microphone is still new. I've had it for only six or eight months. Look at it, it's still new. It's just, you see. Or my car. My car is almost a year old and I still love it. Wait till next year. You see. But if, if, if they're intelligent, they can see, yeah, time is taking everything away. <clears throat> Everything's being swallowed. By time. Uh, I just wanted to know if um, uh, CDs, CDs, like people who have CDs, they acquire them uh, from past life by um, performing, you know, like past activities, or were they? People, people who have what? CDs. Oh, CD. Yeah. yeah. Acquire them, how do they acquire them? By, by performing some type of uh, like a yogi, or, or is it, it can it be something that's given by Krishna by mercy? Or? Can be. Krishna can give you, he can give like that if he wants to, out of his causeless mercy. But uh, we all bring with us when we come into this material world <clears throat> uh, when we take this human body we've all been here let's say and uh, we take this human body we all bring things from us activity that are the result of activities that we've done in previous lifetimes you see we don't know we don't know what we did nor do we care but uh, to be able to practice bhakti yoga means that you've done a lot in pre previous lifetimes. You've done a lot. Either that or 
Krishna is just showing you special mercy, or Krishna's devotee. See, but a lot of times we may show divert. Well, we make an attempt to show mercy on somebody by trying to help them to come to this movement, and they haven't done enough to to have any background in previous lives to even understand or approach. You see. Like they just kind of blow you off, like, yeah, well, that's all real interesting, but uh, I thought I'd catch a movie. You know, happy hour, grab a burger, go to a movie. So, see ya. You know, good luck with your spiritual thing or whatever it's going to do for you. You can tell there are many, many living entities, many, many, many human beings, and it just, it's just way over their head. Unfortunately, you, you, they look at you like like you're speaking uh, Swahili or something. You know? Huh? What do you mean? It's like you're trying to explain to people about uh, giving up eating meat. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with it? cattle? What do you think they're here for? I've even had guys tell me, well, look, it's okay to eat. The animals, they're going to die anyway. I've had people say that. And, and they were serious. They were serious. They thought that was a good argument. Look, they're going to die anyway. <laughs> then you think, okay, you know, uh, all right, can you chant? Can you say Hare Krishna? I mean, can you? Some people can't even accept prasadam. They, they act, they just, they won't, they won't touch it. Even if it's some really nice dessert or something, they just, they can't. They're, whatever their, their karma is, they can't. But, still, we approach everybody. You know, we don't discriminate. But some people, you go up to and it's just like, they act like they've heard it before. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So, so we should understand that many people who come to this movement are uh, were practicing yogis in previous lifetimes. You know? And it could be that they even had liberation. People that could have been liberated into the you know, Brahma Jyoti. They might have been such good yogis that they went all the way to the Brahma Jyoti and came back because it wasn't satisfying. Therefore, here they are back in the material world, and they've done yoga. They've, they've, they've gone through the yoga process. They did Ashtanga yoga and got liberated, but still felt the void because they haven't found Krishna. See, that's the unfortunate thing of the of a, of a personalistic pursuit. It's very difficult. And when you get it, you're not going to be happy. It's not going to be fulfilling forever. It's not an eternal, you know, because you, you don't have Krishna. So you can convince yourself that it will be just as good or, as, or even better than Krishna, and then pursue it and get it, and then the living entity turns around and comes back. See? So we see people, all it takes is just a little bit a tiny push, and they become a devotee. All of a sudden, they understand so much. 
It's just like it's just under the surface. It's like a volcano. It's ready to explode. And you know, people like that are generally not very happy in the material world. They're not very satisfied with it. They've been to the Brahma Jyoti, and that wasn't happy. How can they be happy in the material world? So we just have to engage them in Krishna's service. Does that make any sense? Yes, probably. Eu não conheço o disciple, não sei do Shila Prabhupada. Shila Prabhupada, in a past life, we, we must uh, did something good in our life to, to, to become a good. Shila Prabhupada said, no, I did good activities. What's that now? Shila Prabhupada, one of Shila Prabhupada's disciples. Yeah. He said, Shila Prabhupada, we, we must did a good good activities in the past life yeah. to become a good. And what about what say? He said, no, I did. I did your did good activities. We, you know, we have done good activities for us. That's the reason we have become the goodies. So. Or it just could be causeless mercy. Yes. But in Krishna the reserves time, the right. In the same time, and the same one way, because when uh, uh, some devotees they pick up to Krishna with their soul so easily, they, you know, they, you know, they do so much spiritual advancement very fast. So it's like in the past life, it was already connected. Yeah. It's one kind of confusion for me. Yeah. So. There was already some connection. I should have said, I did good activities, so <laughs> I did good good. So it's kind of, kind of hard for me to, 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 to understand. And Prabhupada once said, all of you were sent by my guru. Bhakshula Bhakti Siddhanta sent all of you to help me. <laughs> so you could be sent. Krishna can send you. you know, we don't know. We're not so concerned with the past. We were an intelligent man. People ask me all the time, are you into past life regression? Is it, no, is that what is the regression? Yeah. Is that I say no, I don't care. Really? I don't care. I just don't care. I'm into next life. You know, it's just like if you're driving down the road looking behind you, yeah. you're going to run off the road or run into something. I'm concerned about where I'm going. Later on, I'll set up, set up, sort out where I've been. I don't care. That's why I'm some, some people ask me this question. Are you guys practicing regression? I said, we don't care about regression to get back before, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's no fun to drive that reverse. To, to, to know what it was, what it was in our past life, because we're all if we if we ever remember what what we did in the past life, we, we kill ourselves. You know, <laughs> yeah. Disturbing. Well, and another thing, I've heard these people I, when they ask me this, I say, "Well, no, but have you?" Oh, yes, I was a prince in such and such. <laughs> or it's never bad. I know. You know, the guy who's doing their whatever, who's helping them with it, the guy collecting the money from them. Money. He never tells them, hey, look, well, it looks like you were a dog in your last life. <laughs> That's an inside joke. Sometimes, sometimes. Or, or a worm. It looks like, excuse me, sir, it looks like you were a worm. Oh, you were a stool-eating worm. Yes, I can see here just as clear. You were in, uh, you were in stool. It was your last life. Or you were a monkey. You know, it's always, you know, where you were a princess or a... 
a prince or your some kind of something like that. That'll be fifty dollars or whatever. You know. There's actually some content I go into or to to you know to the website or YouTube. Yeah. They always talk about reincarnation and they always talk about human love, but they don't talk about really yeah. that's something. <laughs> yeah, so that kind of gives it away right there. And they always want a credit card up front, don't they? <laughs> Most of those outfits they want some credit. Even though if it's free, there's this credit uh, these credit bureaus that say you can get your free credit report, and the first thing they ask you for is, are you, do you have a Visa or MasterCard? Well, if it's free, why do you need, but you got to do that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I was to say that you brought that up, because there was, a, there was a thing going on where going into past lives, and they said, well, it'll help your karma now. You understand that you were this king that killed a bunch of people, ordered a bunch of people, you're going to have all this bad, you know, bad karma coming at you. So this is a good way to prevent this bad karma. And it's kind of funny. So I'm like, well, how are you going to stop it? I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to see it coming around the corner. Well, what are you going to do? Yeah. Oh. Chanari Krishna. You know, but other than that, what are you going to do? But the state, you know, you, know, you killed, you know, you killed somebody in your last life, you know, last life you, you killed your mother. So what are you going to do? Um, you know, how do you overturn past karma? Well, you were a very nasty person. So okay, if I go out and I'm really nice to people. No, you're still going to have to accept what you've got coming. And then if you're out going out and being very nice to people, that means next life people will be nice to you. Sometimes the devotees would say to Prabhupada, Prabhupada, shouldn't I say, uh, shouldn't I desire to stay here and preach? And Prabhupada said, you should desire to go home. If Krishna wants to send you to preach, then he'll do that. But you should want to go home, back to Godhead. That's the only intelligence. And who knows, Krishna may send you. He may send you to preach. Then you may, you, you, gladly you will come back. And, Always remember Krishna and never forget him and spread Krishna consciousness. See. But we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't think that. No, I'm gonna I'm just gonna stay here. I'm gonna work, 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 make sure that I stay in this material world. Alright, well, should we wrap it up? What do you say we cut it? Cut it off now and take rest. We'll get together Wednesday night, Bhagavad Gita class.
Yes. Don't forget that. Okay. Tomorrow morning, Marvel RT. We have lots more fun yet to have. All boys to show up. Yeah. All boys. <laughs>